Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to the first episode in our new Consumer Duty and Protection podcast series that will be running across both Money Marketing and Mortgage Strategies podcasts in association with Royal London. Hello there, um, it's Amanda Newman-Smith from Money Marketing and today I'm joined by the team from Royal London. Um, we're going to be discussing the consumer duty. I'm, I'm sure our readers have all got some views on that or maybe not. Um, let, let's um, introduce the team. Um, can everyone sort of say who they are please? Okay, so yeah, I'm Shelley Reid. I'm Senior Intermediary Development and Technical Manager here at uh, Royal London. And uh, generally, uh, myself and Gregor, we, we travel the country talking to advisors about all things protection. Yeah, absolutely. So hi, everyone. I am Greg. I'm the, the second part of this double act. I am one of Royal London's Intermediary Protection Development and Technical Managers. And uh, again, as Shelley said, really responsible for helping try and engage advisors on a lot of uh, interesting and hopefully thought-provoking topics to, to try and drive protection uh, up on, on the agenda. And of course, as we're looking at today, is all about the, the new consumer duty, which is a, a real hot topic for the two of us at the moment. Great, thank you. Um, lovely lovely to, to meet you guys. Um, I'm going to start by, by saying I know you've done some research and it found that some advisors didn't really understand, didn't know about the consumer duty. I think off the top of my head, it was almost one in five, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But um, just wondering, you know, just briefly, could um, you, you sort of tell, tell us what the consumer duty is in, in a little summary of what it is? Yeah, of course. So I, I think obviously the one thing to, to point out is that at the time of, of our recording today, you know, we're still awaiting the final decision as to what this new consumer duty is, is going to look and feel like. Everything that we're going to be really basing our, our conversations on and everything we have really been basing our conversations on uh, up to now have been around the, the the results from the consultation paper. But I guess in in a nutshell, what, what this new consumer duty is, is it's and it's a it's a it's a look from the regulator at a way of trying to, in their eyes, see a higher level of, of consumer protection in in the retail financial markets. I think it's probably no surprise that this has happened. And um, there's been a lot of discussion on this over the last few years, and there's been a few uh, sort of uh, suggestions that this might be in in the way over the last few years. But again. It, the principle of it is about setting a, a higher standard of care and, and expectations beyond the, the current principles for business. Um, as a summary of what it is, I usually look at it as uh, broken down into three parts. You've got this new principle, which is the consumer principle, um, which will actually be added on to the existing principles for business. Um, you've got three co uh, cross-cutting rules. Now, these are really designed to help uh, set a, a sort of level expectation uh, across the industry for how firms should behave in order to achieve that new uh, principle. And then underneath these three cross-cutting rules, there are what essentially four outcomes and, and again they're really designed to help set this again uh, understanding for how do we achieve this this new uh, principle in practice but it is ultimately all about trying to drive uh, good customer outcomes and as they trying to set a real high standard of care um beyond the, what's currently uh, it, it, the within the principles for for business Thank you. Sorry, Shelley, am I? Yeah, sorry. The only thing I was going to ask, I think it's 
I think it's arguably the biggest overhaul of regulatory approach since, you know, back in 2013 with RDR. And for me, the big thing is it's a shift from rules-based regulatory approach to more based on outcomes. Um, And it's a, you know, it's a really clear step up from TCF that we're currently used to. That's interesting you said it because I was looking at the paper only yesterday. Um, obviously, I know that you know it is the, the consultation paper, not the final document. But um, it, it was interesting for me because a lot of this stuff you could argue it, you can sort of trace it back to things like treating customers fairly, and you know the FCA's more recent work on vulnerability. So, do you think that's partly why some advisors probably think they don't really need to do a lot about this? Because you know, as you say, you know, it is going above and beyond what we've already got. But do you, do you think that maybe Maybe some advisors are not seeing it like that. Yeah, I think I think one of the overriding things is the FCA wants advisors to put themselves in customers' shoes, you know, when communicating and talking and, and advising. And I think on the whole, most advisors feel that they would do that. But maybe this is about going that extra step. Um, I'm sure that advisors, you know, put themselves in the customer's shoes with their recommendations. But do they cover every eventuality? Are there some areas of financial advice? advice that you know that customers might still potentially find themselves in a vulnerable situation so for me i think that's where the step up bit bit it's it's real holistic advice you know covering every eventuality and, and making sure that customer isn't going to find themselves in a vulnerable situation yeah absolutely i think just on, you know, on top of that it's as you said there's there's been word of this over the last few years and aspects of like treating customers fairly you know it's been it's been around for a while and i think it would be it's probably a mistake to say that the purpose of this is about driving out bad exercise i think what the fca are looking at it is is driving you know, good practice and as you say a lot of this good practice may already be part of of many advisors business and and, you know, and, and providers business and providers um, as well you know it's not saying that it's not happening at the moment it's just about trying to continue to drive good practice um, and getting I guess firms providers and, and 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 the whole industry just to to make sure that products that they build services that they deliver are, are right in the first place um, and again as you say a lot of that may and probably is already happening out there uh, which may go back to why some of the the, the results in our, our, our feed and our serve and our uh, reports suggest many of us aren't necessarily that aware that it's this is coming mm. yeah it's interesting because um Shelley I think you, you made the point um a little while earlier about um the move to from rules based to outcome based and I thought it was really interesting sort of looking in that consultation report that I read um it, it just seemed that the FCA is kind of laying out more detail than perhaps they would have done under rules based because I think one of the um criticisms with with the feedback you know the, the responses was that you know with an outcomes based regime that there was kind of less less scope less detail and, and it's all about interpretation I mean do, do you think that's the case do you think the FCR are going to sort of lay things out in a way that maybe advisors haven't seen before um, I think how it's going to sort of be measured and implemented is still uh, an unknown I, I think the FCA did feel that um, customers often didn't have all the information they needed to make good decisions. So I think that might be at, at the heart of it, that 
advisors need to make sure that customers have all of the information. So it might be that advisors, you know, just maybe as far as protection is to look at price and not give all of the options to customers to make that informed decision. And it might be that areas like trust or areas outside of just, um, you know, lump sum, maybe looking at an income-based, they might be things that advisors don't go into great detail. So I think the SA are saying, how can a customer make an informed decision that's right for them without having all of the um, all of the information? I think another thing that comes into that, and, and the FCA do mention, is about the support services, the added value things that that come from providers like ourselves with many protection products. Do advisors talk about those? Do do clients know exactly what they have got? Um, We know that they may be underused sometimes, some of these support services, and that may well be because advisors don't talk to clients about all of those added value extras that come with a policy. So, so in, in that case, do you think then it could be an opportunity for advisors? Because, you know, if they're currently, you know, maybe not talking about things as much as they could, you know, that it does seem that there is you know, scope for them to kind of jump on this and, and see it in a positive light as opposed to, oh, no, more compliance, more regulation, et cetera. I mean, what, what do you think? Well, personally, um, I, I think it's from an advisor point of view, I might be thinking this might mean quite a bit more work. But on the upside of that, I think there's an opportunity to increase reputation, um, to retain clients, um, and also look at increasing revenue. Because there are, for most advisors, areas of protection, particularly our core subject today, that that probably we don't go into in great detail. So, for example, income protection, family income benefit, trusts, there are areas that are, you know, pretty much under-advised on. And whilst there might uh, need some coaching to have the expertise to look at these areas, then ultimately it's got to be a great outcome for the clients. But but also I think for the advisor from, as I say, a, rep- a reputation, from a retaining customer's point of view, and obviously ultimately from a revenue for their firm. Sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that you know, when you look at opportunity, when it comes to protection, there's so many opportunities to bring that to life. Obviously, we're coming at it from a protection perspective, being from, from all London, but I think it's also important to realise that this new consumer duty virtually applies to everybody in financial services. You know, we, we obviously come at it from what does it mean to the advisor, but you know, if we are looking at advisors making protection a big part of their the, you know, their conversation with clients in light of this new consumer duty, we do also have to make sure that providers and those that are building and ultimately manufacturing these products that advisors sell are, are making it easy to do business with essentially in the first place. So I think providers themselves also need to have a look at you know, how are the processes that they have in place um, working so that advisors can then deliver those good outcomes uh, to, to to their customers, and I think we've you know, we often talk about the opportunity to to bring protection on its own to life, and I think this will really 
will stand it in good stead having those conversations. Um, but as I say, I think I think providers do also need to make sure that they're making it easy for advisors to do business with them in the first place i think that's a great point gregor and you know uh the new consumer duty is not just going to affect uh advisors it's going to affect providers just like you know ourselves at royal london um and as as you just said gregor the products uh are going to be important the way that we communicate with advisors is also going to be important but I think we have a responsibility as well to help advisors to have those compelling protection conversations so tools and support on um, advisor websites is going to be critical as well to help maybe things like to unearth a budget to help clients realize the risk and chance and probability of them making a claim um, to help them make sure that they collect all of the medical information correctly and maybe also as far as trust to help them with you know knowledge on trusts approach letters reasons why there's all sorts of support that we can help advisors with to help satisfy you know these t- these c- consumer duty outcomes that's an interesting point as well, because I, I was thinking, you know, a lot of advisors, maybe, you know, not all advisors, but some advisors do start off on their careers in protection advice. You know, that is maybe because there's been less regulation and whatnot. So, you know, for them, I mean, what should companies be doing to support them in terms of, you know, the advice firms and also providers as well? I mean, do they need a little bit more than maybe an experienced advisor who's, you know, been seen lots of other pieces of regulation come through their doors? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I go, want to just go back to the, the research that you mentioned we produced because that kind of was brought to life within there. So one of the things that we asked in the, the Royal London research was, you know, do you expect to make any changes to your business in light of, of new consumer duty? What type of support do you expect to receive? Where would you actually look towards um, receiving support? And you know, a significant number of the respondents would say that they would look towards the, their network or product providers for uh, for support. And I think that goes, you know, that, that, that says a lot in its own, you know, if advisors are looking towards the providers for support on this, you know, this huge shift in the industry, then I think it really needs to be considered as to what type of support are they getting. And I've surely alluded to a lot of the, the various supports and products and how they're helping. Um, but yeah, I, I do think you know, some of the some of the initial support providers probably should be looking at are making sure that you know systems that they have in place for interacting with advisors, features. If it's making sure that the advisor can actually deal quite well and quite easily with the provider in the first place, um, I think that would go uh, a, a long way. Shed, I don't know if you've got any additional points on on, on that. Uh, I think the only thing I'd say is that although we don't know exactly how we, it's going to be documented. We, we do know that senior account managers within a firm will be accountable to make sure that consumer duty happens. So I think one of the roles that they might play is exactly as you said, Amanda, those uh, inexperienced advisors who maybe are at the start of their career, whether it's, you know, mentoring them, um, you know, shadowing them, uh, even role play type things will be imperative really to make sure that they are comfortable and confident in having that protection conversation around, you know, maybe j- not just 
um, cheap and cheerful mortgage protection. So from a firm point of view, um, I think a mentoring type system is is going to be critical. And, you know, as we've just said, both myself and Gregor over, over the last few minutes, the things that we as providers can do, you know, can could, I think, be invaluable going forward. It's not just about product related things and, you know, the types of things we have and kit conditions and how we look at added value services. I think we can also be really, really effective in helping advisors just start that protection conversation um, to know how to talk to uh, clients about the risks that they face. Um, and as I say, some some tools and that to help substantiate that and bring it all to life. So, so do you think then that more advisors will speak to clients about protection? Because I think that is one of the grumbles, isn't it? It has been for years that, you know, mm-hmm. not every advisor will talk to a client about protection. You know, there are other things to talk to advisors, uh, to clients, sorry, about, about rather than, in, you know, protection. And that's kind of been the attitude. But, you know, will that change? Because this, this consumer duty will kind of force that through. I'd- I'm a firm believer that I would like that to be a, a big change that we'll see. You know, Shelley and I, are, we spend most of our life trying to help advisors put protection on the agenda. And it's, you know, there are many, many clear reasons why advisors don't. The time, the fear that clients just don't want to buy into it. They don't, clients maybe don't see the value in it themselves. So I think, again, that comes down to providers uh, as I've already said, you know, making sure that there's support and tools and functionalities out there that can help advisors help the client see the value in protection. And you, know, one of the big talking points uh, I think throughout the industry over the last couple of years is is being signposted and the need for protection. And I, when I talk about signposting, I usually use it on the you know, in the in the in the spotlight of write it, refer it, don't ignore it. When we're talking protection, it's about making sure clients have that ability to receive money on the table when the worst happens. If that conversation never happens and the client faces an unexpected life event, how will they cope? What outcomes are they likely going to see in that situation? So if we're not having the conversation ourselves, that's absolutely fine. You know, as I said, time is a big, big issue for, for, for all of us. And, you know, the advisors that we speak to, you know, time is, is such an important entity. And if we don't have time to talk protection, we get that. But is there an opportunity there to make sure that somebody down the line has that conversation about protection? the risks that the client faces. If it's not us, if it's not the advisor, is there somebody else that can have that conversation? Can we signpost the client to a protection specialist that will have that conversation so that they're still having the conversation? It's not not happening. It's just not, not necessarily happening with that that particular advisor. And then, as I said, that's not necessarily a, a criticism because you know, signposting, thinking about the benefits of it, it lets that advisor focus on on their specialism. They might not be specialists in, in protection. You know, it could be wealth advisors. We could be talking, you know, about various different specialities. If they're not comfortable writing protection, you know, that, that's that, there's no criticism in that. But I think making sure that that conversation, that important conversation, happens with somebody down the line is is a real uh, a real consideration. I think that's what I'd like to see. <laughs> this new consumer duty driving is a greater sense of signposting that need elsewhere if we're not having it ourselves. And actually, 
I think from a sales perspective, you know, the alternative to signposting, of course, is to have that conversation um, uh, yourself. And I think what this new consumer duty might do is, firstly, yes, drive some awareness into the importance of, of signposting elsewhere, but it might help some advisors see actually there's a real opportunity, going back to what you mentioned earlier about opportunities, to have this conversation yourself, maybe not lose the, the control over that customer relationship and then hopefully grow that relationship um, ourselves. So yeah, I'd, I'd answering that question, I, I, I do hope this new consumer duty is going to drive protection conversations um, a lot more. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, signposting is one of the critical things. For me, I think uh, not having that protection conversation is really just not an option any longer. And many firms that I've spoken to um, have really decided to sort of, you know, take a step back and sort of have a helicopter view over their firm, particularly if it's a multi-advisor firm. And just have a little look under the bonnet and see exactly what is going in on within their company. Um, you know, it's not to bash anyone at all, but I think they need to look at advisors and see, you know, which advisors are taking those steps to have real in-depth, robust protection conversations. And maybe they within a firm could be the protection experts. I think one of the things that consumer duty might do is We'll have to see. But it, I think it might make people specialise in certain areas. So, again, I see quite a lot of firms, particularly mortgage firms, um, who are considering taking on a protection expert to pick up all of those um, protection leads from their mortgage advisor colleagues. Um, and I think you know, as in all areas, if you become an, an expert in that field, then, you know, you're very professional, you can provide the very best outcome for a client. So it could be that if you're not, you know, looking at protection all day, every day, then, you know, you might get a little bit rusty on, you know, which providers are great for different areas. So a protection expert will know which providers are good for a complex medical situation, which providers are good for, you know, complicated family medical history or maybe if someone has a dangerous job or a hazardous pursuit someone who's an expert in protection will know exactly who to go to and that's going to save time and inconvenience you know and a lot of work for the advisor um you know, who maybe isn't doing that every single day. So it might be that we see protection experts coming up in uh, in firms. And as Gregor said, if you're a smaller firm um, and protection isn't something that you want to do for whatever reason, time, resource, expertise again, then I think it's really critical to consider referring that to either someone in your firm, if there's more than you, or to make that, I guess, slightly brave move and refer it to another advisor, either within your network, if you belong to a network. I know many networks have firms that are protection specialists, or indeed, if that's not the case, then you, you, know, you might have a local advisor who is a protection expert 
expert that you could refer to. So again, could that be another income stream if you are going to split, you know, fees or commission with a, another advisor? So I think there are plenty of opportunities, but advisors have to probably, you know, take a step back and think how how they're going to tackle protection within their firm. It's interesting you say that, Shelley, because as you were speaking there, I was thinking it is so important to protect that, isn't it? Because, you know, it's it's the sort of, you know, classic example. But, you know, if you haven't got anything in place and the worst happens, then how are you going to fund the rest of it that, you know, that might make the the advice firm run? You know, the the pension business, the investment work, that sort of thing. Because without that income being protected, you know, it, it just doesn't work, does it? So it is something that advisors need to think about, isn't it? So how they're going to approach this for the interests of the clients yeah yeah sorry Gregory carry on I was just going to say that you know Lyndon what I said earlier about this really touching everybody in the financial services we talk about protection advisors but Amanda you mentioned advisors that may be specializing in, in likes of pension and, and wealth advisors that I think it will hopefully focus where protection opportunities lie in the conversations that, that, that they're having with clients as well and you know if, I think having that awareness of what protection is, why it's important is one aspect. But if we are, for example, a wealth advisor, you know, is there opportunities to to try and make sure that a good customer outcome for a client might might look about protecting them for the likes of um I guess long-term issues with you with 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 their clients and their long-term health issues and I think from from again from that that wealth perspective is there opportunities to, when it comes into that inheritance tax planning conversation to try and bring in types of protection solutions that might help the next you know the next generation of clients um, down the line as well so I do think it will really help with the not just protection advisors but that's that sort of wealth generated that's our holistic advisors um yeah. with their conversations I, I agree entirely and i think um might be making a sweeping generalization here but i think a lot of wealth advisors will maybe talk to clients about what happens if they die prematurely um but i don't know that that they go that extra step to talk about what happens if they get a critical illness or indeed what happens if they get maybe a little less poorly uh, but still need to take a significant time off work that potentially can you know as you said Amanda it can affect all of their other financial planning if suddenly that income stops for a little a little while or or for longer term so again um you know referring to a protection specialist that can have those conversations that can maybe you know talk about the need for providing not just a lump sum but maybe an income as well for for many families um having a lump sum if something really awful happens and a, a loved one or the main wage earner passes away for many families that that just isn't sufficient to keep them in that property and to maintain any lifestyle for the the family and you know particularly looking at their at their children so having that mortgage debt paid off um like i say for many families they need some sort of income as well so you know do advisors who aren't looking at protection all day every day you know would they have that expertise to be able to delve into things such as family income benefit income protection and we know income protection now is so flexible that we can make 
you know, income protection can fit most budgets and needs. So, again, I think it's educating and, and wealth advisors and pension advisors to, to step back and have a look at their business and either, you know, you know, get some training, some support uh, to get that knowledge up to speed or indeed to make that decision to signpost it to a protection expert. Great. So, thank you, Shelley. I was also thinking while you were speaking there about um, whether the, the kind of real difficult bit of the consumer duty is, you know, sort of evidencing it, because that, that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's all very well, advisors might be doing it already or whatever, but, you know, are they kind of putting it in a way that will please the FCA in terms of the consumer duty? You know, any, any thoughts on that? Shelley, I'll ask you first, and then Gregor, if you want to come in. Okay. I mean, I think there is likely to be significant debate about you know what good looks like and I still think it's uh, we don't really know how how consumer duty is going to be uh, documented and indeed um, monitored and um, how it's going to be accountable but but I think as we start preparing and, and as we look at the outcomes I think it seems fairly clear to me anyway that we need to demonstrate how advisors have had those conversations we need to show that we've we've talked about the protection we've asked asked the clients, what risks they would face, you know, what what they would want their ideal situation to be if they died prematurely, if they had a critical illness, or if they became long-term sick and had to take some time off work. And for most clients, I think the ideal situation would be that they would be able to, you know, stay in their home uh, and maintain their lifestyle. So that needs generally some protection to be put in place. And, you know, we need to advisors to show that they've had those conversations. So things like risk reports that will be personalised for the client to show the risks that they face. I think something like that, you know, uploaded to the client file to show that not only have advisors had the conversation, but they've also prepared, you know, a personalised report detailing to the client the risks that they face. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a spot on suggestion, really. I think actually having that tangible report, that tangible document that advisors can obviously share with clients, but obviously store themselves will go will go a long way to help um, the documentation question and evidence in this new consumer duty. And uh, obviously, we're still talking about this as a consultation paper in terms of what is evidence, uh, evidence and this is going to look like is, is still very much up in the air. But within the, the consultation paper, and I'm sure everybody listening will have read the 243 plus pages and, and the initial 50 odd pages um, of, of report. Within there, there are draft guidance and there's some case studies that do suggest what good and bad and poor practice does look like. And there are some guidance in there, guidelines in there as well, um, which can help sort of, I think, clarify some degree the, the type of evidence the FC might be looking for. And I think the other thing is the FC have made it quite clear that they are going to be harnessing the use of data, and we you know we we do live in a heavily data-driven world at the moment. Um, I, I think there will be a lot of 
um, requirements for firms to try and make sure that they understand the data they have access to, the data they produce. And I think, again, that will go hopefully a long way to, to, to try and help them with evidence in this, this new consumer duty. And there was talk previously about um, the FC consultant on the likes of, uh, I think it was a new private right of action for where breaches in this new consumer duty principle occurs. I know that's still ongoing and under consultation. Um, and obviously what that would tend to do is give individuals, I guess, a course of action to, to make a cause, uh, like a claim for, for damages caused by breaching the principle. But I know that's still ongoing. There is a shift of a lot of uncertainty around what evidence in the new consumer duty will, will, will really look like. but. I think making sure that we've got an understanding of the data and the MI we, we, we deal with, it will, will be a huge, huge step forward. Um, and of course, providers as well, given access to the likes of these risk reports. Um, and some of the, 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 the actual hard copy um, sales aid, sales support documents, I think will also be a, a really good visual and um, physical way of, of evidence and uh, good outcomes for, for clients. Can I just pick up on something that you said there, Gregor, that I think data is uh, is going to be imperative here. You know, for someone who's a firm principal, a senior account manager within a firm or, or indeed responsible for clients, uh, for clients um, I think that data will be really, really important. So they can look at exactly what's happening within their company. Um, and as I said, you know, as far as training and development advisors uh, is is concerned to monitor exactly what's happening and if there you know there if there is an advisor that's that's struggling then data will show that that maybe you know there's no protection sales happening or there's just live cover happening um and you know we along with other providers can provide coaching and help to have those conversations outside of just maybe basic mortgage protection. Great. Um, I also want to address um, a piece of your research which talked about um, the business areas that advisors expect to review or change. And I thought it was interesting, you know, that the, the top three um, processes that help to shape client, rec sorry, recommendations, advisor to client communications, and advisor to client service. It seems to me that everything is kind of, you know, interlinked with those. I mean, how, how do you think advice firms will go about kind of unpicking sort of where they're at and where they need to be? I mean, this might be a question for an, another episode, but um, just thought I'd chuck it out there. You know, where do you start with this as, as an advice firm? I mean, for me personally, I think one of the big things that, uh, you know, comes out of that is uh, reviews that I think, uh, again, it's not an option any longer to set up uh, a protection policy and then, you know, it's not looked at again until maybe something happens to someone or they move house or I think reviews are going to be really critical. So we often talk about at Royal London about setting up a, a dentist type approach to um, forthcoming appointments. You know, we're all used to when we leave a dentist having that next annual uh, appointment booked in. And I think as advisors, we, we need to try to do that um, a lot more. Within 12 months of someone's life, 
you know, an awful lot can happen that would mean that uh, protection needs to change. So, you know, someone could have moved house, someone could be in the rental sector and have moved to a bigger property. They could have had a new job, a promotion at work. Uh, You know, they might have had a baby, they might have, you know, started a new relationship, got married or, or even, you know, sadly got divorced. All of these things will trigger and need to have a look at the portfolio protection that's in place. So I think reviews are going to become even more important. Um, And I think that that sort of covers one of the areas of uh, sort of client communication. Um, And I think as far as um, client services are concerned, I think, again, this is about making sure that clients fully understand and are engaged in the protection plan that they're, you know, about to embark on. They they understand that the added value services that might come, it might be fracture cover, it might be a hospitalisation payment if sadly they're in hospital for a period of time. You know, it might be that, you know, very current at the moment, someone, they or someone in their immediate family might need some mental health support, um, all sorts of things that quite often are accessible through a protection policy. But, you know, we're very reliant on advisors having these communications and letting clients know um you know what what they have. Um, I think the the section of the report that you're talking about, Amanda, also said that um, not many advisors expect to review the suitability of past product recommendations. I think that came in at, at less than twenty percent. Um, but but I think as part of a review, then you know advisors will have a responsibility to review a client's current situation, you know financially and particularly our core subject today as far as you know protection is concerned. Yeah. Right. I mean, Gregor, I, did you want to say anything? Sorry. Yeah, no, no, I, I would say it's, 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 it's no surprise. I'm not surprised with the the responses around advisors saying they want to look at shaping the communications that they send clients and I guess how they position recommendations to clients. Because you know, if you think about what the new consumer's duty is achieving, if you think about those four outcomes, you've got products and services, you've got price and value, consumer understanding and consumer support, the consumer interaction and how advisors interact and firms generally interact with consumers is such a big part of this. And I think the fact that under that consumer understanding and consumer support um, outcome, there's a real focus on making sure that when we're communicating with customers, it goes above and beyond that existing requirement to be clear, fair and and not misleading. It has to be accurate, relevant and, and provided on a timely basis. I think that requirement really fits nicely into what Shelley was saying about if we are having ongoing reviews with clients, you know, what has changed since we last spoke to them? Where can we look at trying to make sure that if something has changed quite substantially, maybe a divorce or a growth in the family, maybe there's a new family member, that that is an opportunity to make sure that we can help provide additional good outcomes for clients. And again, hopefully it's in their segment and um, protection in, into there. So as I said, I'm, I'm personally not surprised to see such a high percentage of advisors wanting to look at the, the communication aspect when it's, it is a real founding aspect of the, 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 the new duty. 
Yeah, and I think for a lot of advisors, this you know this does uh, already happen, and I and I think the good news is that a significant majority, um, I think in our in our survey, about seventy percent of advisors who expected to make changes to their business with consumer duty say that they're confident that they'll be ready for the new rules coming into effect, and they think that they will be small changes, um, and I think we you know we haven't mentioned that, but you know, time is ticking on quite quickly. And we've probably got about, you know, nine-ish, 10 months before this comes into effect in April 23. Not not many, I think in our survey, only 8% of um, advisors were worried about the timescales involved. But I think uh, we certainly, you know, advisor firms certainly need to be thinking now with less than 12 months, how they are going to approach um, consumer duty. You know, and as I say, we're we, as all providers, will be delighted to help with any, you know, coaching or knowledge or expertise training. That's brilliant to, to know. Thank you for that. Um, closing remarks, really. Um, just wanted to know if there's anything else that you would like to say that we haven't covered. You know, anything be- before I let you get on your way. The only thing I would say is, you know, it's it, there's a few publications on on what's what a next step would look like, and I know we've got a, a fantastic series of podcasts uh, on the horizon on this topic, and no doubt we'll be bringing this to life. I think, you know, some tangible next steps. It's all very well reading the FCA regulations and guidelines and all of these consumer documents, but actually what does it mean now? What can we do now that will help us start to get ready for you know, for this pretty seismic shift in, in, in what's going to be expected in, in the, across the industry? So you know, some, some of the simple steps that, that, that we've been speaking to advisors about is just you know, map out the different stages of, of the client's journey, again, through their eyes. As Shirley said earlier, put yourself in, in the client's shoes and what does an experience look like for them? You know, understand how you uh, monitor your existing compliance requirements and, and what does that look like how do you do that where does value for money fit into into your, your your conversations with clients how do you ensure that the providers you use and this also goes for providers themselves how do they ensure that clients and customers access value for money uh, we mentioned data quite a lot today i think understanding data is going to be really really important and then again working with providers that you, you you deal with to understand more about your interaction with that provider and what type of data they can provide you as well will go a long way. Communication, understand how you communicate with firms and clients, I think is really, really important. And Shelley, oh, sorry, <laughs> I lost you there. I lost you there, sorry. I was just going to finally say, you know, I think those next steps. So understand how your firm communicates with, with new and existing customers, um, whether that be digitally, will it be through hard copy, face-to-face? You know, I think all of those steps will help uh, get advisors in a really good position for, for, for getting ready for the, the, the new consumer duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the fi- the only final closing things I, I would say is I think the overriding thing for advisors to keep in mind is really just putting customers at the, at really at the heart of what they do make sure that these uh, that those customers have all the information that they need to you know to really make the best decisions their family and as advisors to just really put themselves in the customer's shoes when they're making advice uh, and recommendations 
Great, brilliant. It's been lovely speaking to you. Thank you both. And um, yeah, hopefully everyone will see us again next time for the next episode. You're welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, everyone. In the next episode, we'll further explore how advisors can get ready for the changes and what providers can do to help them fulfill their responsibilities. And if you want to read Royal London's research report, Counting Down to the Consumer Duty, or get tools and resources to support your protection conversations, visit advisor.royallondon.com slash building resilience. See you next time.